Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, Soap fans and true believers, it's Throwback Thursdays. So I have a snippet of my 2017 interview with Tanya Walker, a.k.a. Olivia Jerome of General Hospital and Alex Olenov of One Life to Live from the GH Report on AfterBuzz TV that I referenced in the first part of the Soaps in Depth interview. But first, enjoy the second half of my chat with Richard, who's the executive editor of SID. couples sometimes getting together and it being stale general hospital can can do a couple like they did with dante and lulu but they were pretty well off screen like you say but i would like to see more of say like liz and franco stay together keep that their drama maybe be you know not as much of them breaking up because they seem pretty solid as opposed to you know some of the other couples on the show but they barely will show them because they're a little bit more you know in a good place well, and that's, that's, that's sort of the catch-22 yeah. of soap opera, is a happy couple is not an interesting couple. <laughs> and, you know, um, y- nobody is tuning in to watch, you know, two people be happy. I mean, yes, you want to see a little bit of that. Of course, you want to see the, the that, that goes along with the payoff of a couple finally getting together. But um, it's it's one of the big challenges of soap writing is there are two, there are two big challenges. Mm-hmm. Well, there are many challenges, but the two biggest one is, as, and I say this all the time, the job of a head writer is to make everyone in the soap opera audience happy. Unfortunately, everyone in the soap opera audience doesn't want the same thing, so you're <laughs> never going to be able to do your job. The other is that you 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 have this canvas of characters, and you know you have made these characters. If you've done your job well, you've made these characters or most of them popular. So you have to continue to give them story, but in at the same time, you have an audience that says, I want story for Liz and Franco, but I don't want them to be unhappy. Well, mm-hmm. most soap opera stories don't really involve happiness. <laughs> you know, there's, yeah. not a lot of, there's not a lot of soap opera stories that involve, you know, really great, happy things. I mean, like, you can, you can have Liz and Franco decide that they're going to have a baby. And that's a great story. But unless that baby is conceived by someone other than Franco or if there's some kind of problem, like, you know, she might lose the baby because of high stress or whatever. It's nine months of somebody being pregnant and being pregnant is not all that exciting. I mean, I've never been pregnant, but you know, <laughs> from what I've heard, yeah. it's, it's not the most exciting story in the world. So you have to figure out a way to, to keep your couples that are happy um, on screen and playing them in a way that makes them happy. Now I like this storyline right now. We're not seeing a huge amount of it yet, but I like this idea that, Nicholas and Ava, who have this great yes. love-hate relationship, you know, they're constantly like, you know, you never know if they're going to – I wrote something about this in the magazine the other day, that when, when Ava puts her hand up, you don't know if she's going to stroke his cheek or slap it. And I love that. <laughs> I love the dynamic between them. And at the same time, they're sort of playing this, this dangerous liaisons game where they're both manipulating Franco and Liz – 
who don't even realize they're being manipulated. Uh, and, 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 and I enjoy that. I think that that's, yeah, that's, that's fun. I like the four of them. What's yeah. interesting about that is it is not Liz and Franco being tempted to cheat on one another. It is Ava and Nicholas trying to make them do that. You know, it's an outside force that, that makes sense because both, you know, because they, because Nicholas shares a past with Liz and Ava shares a past with Franco. So, so, Everything that's going on there, this swirling mess, makes sense. And that, to me, is a lot of fun. I'd like to see them play this a little bit more because I love what they're doing with it. But for some reason, we haven't gotten a whole lot of it. We've got more. We've gotten quite a bit of Franco and, and uh, I mean, of, of Nicholas and Ava. But they've only sort of started scratching the surface. But they've done a nice job with it. Like when they had Nicholas bonding with Liz a couple weeks ago and talking about, you know, she was very worried about Cameron and he he basically was talking about how difficult a time she went through when she was raped and how the camera would get through it. Mm-hmm. That was a fantastic use of not only her history, but of Nick and Liz and that they've known each other for all this time, you know, which is easy to forget when you have a new actor playing a character. So I, I really like what they're doing there. I, I hope we get to see more of it. Yeah, I agree. I really like Marcus as Nicholas, and I think that he has great chemistry with Maura West as well as Becky Hurst. Well, and, you know, yeah. let's put it this way. The paintings in Ava's gallery have great <laughs> chemistry with Maura West. If That's you don't true. have chemistry with Maura West, then it's you, you know, because, <laughs> because you know, you, you should just, A, you should not be on my screen if you don't have chemistry with her. B, you should probably not be acting. And C, you might be dead. Um, because, I mean, that woman is of another era. She is, you know, I love that they always have her, like, sipping a martini, and she just, she always looks like she just stepped out of a movie from the 1920s. And I, you know, I was watching a while back, I was watching um, the new version, it came out a couple years ago, the the revamped version of uh, Murder on the Orient Express. And all through that entire movie, all I could think was, Michelle Pfeiffer should not have this role. It should be. It should be. I want to see more West sashaying through this movie because she would just slay every single scene. Not that Michelle Pfeiffer wasn't good; she was fine. But Maura just—that's that's—that is. It's incredible to me that in this incredibly modern show called General Hospital, we have this character who is, on a certain level, just like a complete 1920s flapper vixen. You know, it's incredible. Yeah, and that's what I say, is Ava's a fun character. Whether you love her or hate her, she just brings this energy. And I think, you know, her chemistry with Roger, like we say, she has chemistry with everyone. They're fun, and that's why I certainly don't see this storyline going to where Liz and Franco actually do cheat on each other. This is a way of keeping that couple happy, but also it's probably going to push Nick and Ava together. So it's a good way of integrating a good, happy couple and this dysfunctional one that just sort of livens it up without sort of really getting people to break up because I don't see this being long term but like you say Nicholas acknowledging the history that he and Liz have known each other since teenagers that that they've done a really good job of bringing in things like that and I like I say we just need more Nick and Ava and a little bit less like you know I know with the Wiley drama it's been the big story but I'm with you I think that they should have drugged that out for years like they used to I would have been way more interested in seeing Lucas and Brad raise Wiley for years before Michael knew. Well, the problem is that that the vast majority of the audience has been screaming for a very long time 
give Michael, they, they were screaming for Michael to get his baby back. And, and again, this goes back to what I said before is that while your job is to make everybody happy, you can't because yeah. half of the audience wants more of this. The other half of the audience wants nothing to do with that. You know, it's, it's a balancing act. And I, I, I mean, I will say, I think uh, Dan O'Connor and Chris Van Etten are probably, they're, they're just a fantastic writing duo. And, the the show is in better shape than it's been in a long long time in my opinion i think oh, yeah. uh, it's it's the, the the scripts have been fantastic the actors can re- one of the, one of the ways that i can tell that i'm really enjoying this show in a way that i never really have in the past is I'm a huge fan of Maurice Bernard, and I'm a huge fan of the character of Sonny, but I am not, and it's a difficult situation for me because I'm not a fan of mob stories. I just, they're boring to me. They are boring. They, you know, we all know how they're going to end, you know. It's yeah, Sonny like, has to win. It is right. what it is, yeah. So, but, but what they've done here, for the first time in certainly my recent memory, I am 100% into this mob story because it is not a Sonny story. It is not a sunny mob story. It's actually, weirdly, a Jordan mob story and a Laura mob story. Sunny has, you know, Sunny is the person who we think of as being the mob, but Renault didn't come to town to take down Sunny, really. No. He came to town to get revenge on, on Taggart and on, uh, on Jordan. And so it's involved all these different characters. Plus, at the exact same time as this is going on, when you would expect that this is going to be a big Sunny story because it's a mafia story, Instead, Sonny's big story is really the more emotional stuff with with Donna's birth and with Mike being, you know, his his condition deteriorating. So we're getting this this really cool situation where even though there's this huge mob story going on on the canvas, it's not necessarily, you know, it's not what people have complained about in the past where it's like, oh, it's all Sonny and the mob. It's not Sonny. It's everybody versus the mob. I mean, when you've got Laura going in there and saying to Renault, you know what I really want? I want you to be somebody else's problem. You know, I mean, we're seeing Laura as a strong leader of her community. We're seeing Jordan making sacrifices that will come back and bite her in the butt later. And we're also seeing Sonny torn because he wants to be there to help, you know, to keep the people that he loves safe. But at the same time, he is, uh, you know, he's he's also got to deal with this situation with his dad, which is tearing him apart. It's just, it, it's it's the best kind of umbrella story to me, where it's just involving so many characters on the canvas, and is not at all when when I I knew a couple of months before this story started, I knew they were bringing the mob wars back because um, Dan and Chris mentioned it to me in an interview. And they were like, you know, we don't want anybody knowing this yet. It's off the record, but but we are going to be getting back into the mob wars. And I will admit, I, I, I sort of was like, oh, great. More <laughs> mob stuff. Yay. My favorite. Um, because I really enjoyed, before the mob war started, um, I have really enjoyed seeing Sonny as a family man. I enjoyed seeing him deal with Mike. I enjoyed seeing, you know, yeah, him that's his best um, stuff helping Carly with her pregnancy. Yeah. So I was not looking forward to the mob story mm-hmm. at all. But it has turned out to be one of, if not my favorite, one of my favorite mob stories I've ever seen. And that's truly shocking to me. Yeah, uh, I said when this storyline first started and it seemed to be more about Jordan and Taggart and Sonny and Jason sort of thinking it was about them. I said, my favorite part about this is that it's not actually about them. And it's kind of funny considering, you know, they're sort of having to take this step back to people like Jordan and Laura who are much more invested in this. And like you say, Sonny on the other end having to deal with his father and his deteriorating condition is just... It's great 
drama, and Maurice and Max Gale just work so well together. That storyline is heartbreaking. I don't know how many well, times I've almost teared up. Yeah. The other thing that really uh, works nicely here is that we're seeing characters like Laura and Jordan and others say what the audience often says. You know, um, we, we, for years and years and years and years, um, I won't say since the beginning, because when Sonny was first introduced, he was not a good guy. You know, no. I mean, he got Karen yeah. hooked on drugs and he owned a strip club and blah, blah, blah. But over the years, we had come to think of Sonny as the good mobster. It's a running joke, including among writers of General Hospital, um, past and present, as to what exactly it is Sonny does. Um, because, you know, the writers who made Sonny a mobster, who established that Sonny is a mobster, you know, they didn't really write very clear rules as to what it is exactly that he does. And so future um, writing teams, whether it's individuals or or collectively, he have sort coffee. of just, well, they sort of, they don't, they don't really acknowledge what he does. They're yeah. just like, he's a mobster and we think maybe he's in racketeering or mm. maybe he does this, but we don't really address it because... You know, it's it's an it's it's an awkward thing to try and do because he's supposed to be one of our good guys. But what we're really seeing in this story, and I love, is that we are seeing people talk to Sonny and say, you know, listen, like Laura. Laura went down and she's like, I kind of sometimes look the other way, but you need to get this under control, or else I'm coming after you too. You know, Jordan being yeah. reluctant to work with Sonny and 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 Jason because they are the bad guys, and so we're seeing that. Yes, this isn't just, you know, the, the the benevolent mobster who goes around handing out garages to handsome young men who need a place to work. He is he is a guy who people acknowledge is, you know, we may not have been able to bust you, but we know you're not on the up and up. Yeah, and that's what's so interesting about it is we're finally getting characters calling out the situation and not just pretending like it doesn't happen. But yeah, it is interesting that People forget that mob is just organized crime, and Sonny has never been into drugs, obviously, except for in the early days, like with Karen, but they they still have to sort of tiptoe around what it could be. Is it drugs? Is it guns? Is it, you know, but we just go with the coffee joke, and I do like that running gag, but like you say, characters are finally being able to kind of call this out and be like, look, you know, we're trying to clean up the city, and that may include you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's important because that's it's it's always important that there be characters on the canvas who speak what the audience thinks. And they don't – a lot of times what, there'll be characters who may not be – now, in this case, they're front and center characters. They're characters mm-hmm. like Laura and Jordan. Sometimes it'll be a secondary character who just sort of wanders in and says things because, you know – and and, and, and and you can always tell the audience, especially if you're on Twitter when it happens, the audience will be like, ooh, can you believe they said that? Because, <laughs> you know, because the, it's stuff that the audience says that we're never allowed to acknowledge. You know, the, 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 the things about, you know, age discrepancies and things like that. Every, when you have a character who can walk in and just be like, you know, point out something like that and then walk away, it's, it's fun for the audience because they feel like, Yes, someone is hearing me. Someone, someone is validating that. Yeah, this doesn't really make a lot of sense, you know. So, so that's that's always a treat for the audience. 
Yeah, and, and I do love that it all reminded me of Avis. Okay, Ferncliff to Carly, and that long-standing gif we have on Soap Twitter is like Ava's often the character that points things out because she's usually the the odd one out. But it's nice to see more beloved in Port Charles, not just on Soap Twitter characters like Jordan and Laura get to bring up. Sunny is not always perfect. <laughs> yeah. Well, not yeah. only that, but it's important yeah. to have characters who are actually yeah. the good guys. Yeah. Ava is not a Ava is not a good guy by yeah. any stretch of the means you know what's interesting to me is i did not realize this um charlie brought it up on one of our podcasts and i was like that can't be right and then we looked and we're like oh my god it is right you know more west has been on the show for forever this is ava's first wedding <laughs> you know yeah. Ava has never been married before and that's incredible when you look at daytime and how regularly people get married that that that's, this character could have possibly been on the canvas all this time and never once been married that's crazy to me it's crazy but it's also one of the many reasons you love ava because ava has never been defined by a man which is sadly unheard of with female soap characters because while she's had romances and you know trysts and things like that nope that's usually not what drives her story no that's true and, you know, Anna Devane is also a character that, you know, is known for that. A lot of her stories are not driven by her r- relationships, but she's had a few. But, yeah, to see that this was Ava's first wedding, it was interesting to see. And, and a lot of us are glad it's Nicholas because that was something that while, you know, he was off canvas was something that everybody wanted back. And even if you did have to recast like they did, but it but it's working. And it's nice to have Ava involved with the Cassidines, especially when they both collectively hate Valentine. You can have some pushback there, but, you know, now that they're involved with Frizz, maybe not. But you have some history there that can go along, especially if we get Spencer back. Uh, Yeah, I I, I don't know that we'll get Spencer back anytime soon. I don't know that they need him on the canvas right now. And I think, think, you know, one of the complaints that people have had about General Hospital over the last few years is that the canvas is really super crowded. And as a result, people disappear for long periods of time. And I think that one of the things we're seeing is that they're being very, I, I, I think Dan and Chris are very careful about their use of characters, you know, like, um, like some people complained when Harmony came back and said, you know, well, we don't need that character. We don't I need that like character. Her, though. <laughs> but, well, yeah. whether you like her or not, yeah. the, the yeah. point is that it made sense for her to come back. Yeah. The capacity in which they used her made sense as opposed to introducing a new character who would serve the same function. You know, um, that's, I, I, I think that I, I there are certain things. Um, there's a there's a writer named Danny Horn who writes. Um, he he writes a blog called the Dark Shadows Everyday Blog, and oh, in which he he watches classic episodes of Dark Shadows and then writes about them. Writes about what was going on at the time in history. Um, it's a fascinating blog. But one of the concepts he he it told talk, talks about, which Charlie and I have used as a constant reference, is introducing a new character there are three things you have to do when you're introducing a new character the character has to make a friend make a joke and make a plot happen and what that means is they have to make a friend because for example look at xander on days of our lives xander is not exactly a nice guy but maggie loves xander and so because maggie the nicest person on the show likes xander it's okay for us to like him. Even though he does bad things, it's okay for us to like him. So they have to make a friend because that friend is the introduction that we have 
um, that, that friend gives us permission to like this new person. They have to make a joke because we all like people who come in and make a joke. They have to make us smile. They have to make us, you know, we have, we have to see, oh, yeah, okay, this person is interesting. This person is funny. This person, you know, has some personality. And they have to make a plot point happen because if you bring a character on campus without a plot point, if if then there's no point to them. So I think we really see right now with General Hospital, and this hasn't always been true, that they're very careful about um, – you know, I don't know that they specifically follow Danny Horn's rules, but if you look at the characters they're introducing, they do tend to follow those those rules. One of the problems we fell into on General Hospital, um, I love Ron Carlovati, but one of the things he did a lot on General Hospital mm-hmm. that drove me crazy was he introduced people who were not characters; they were caricatures. Mm-hmm. You know, Sabrina mm-hmm. was a was a fairy tale princess. She didn't feel like a real person. Yeah, I was um, never a big Obrecht fan of that was a, Obrecht was a yeah. cartoon. You know, like like he introduced cartoon characters, and later we would be given reason to like them and we would fluff out the character and but but if you don't introduce people right on the canvas it's really hard to get the audience around to liking them it's really really hard to change their mind we make up our minds and we stick with it um and i think that's something we're seeing on general hospital now is that they're they're being very careful like like even brando you look at brando and you look at his introduction the first thing he did was he saved the life of characters that we like you know he came in and he saved carly's life and he threw some sparks with her so we right away we were intrigued um his back even as he was telling his backstory he threw in some humor he he definitely made a plot point happen because oh look this is Dev's supposedly this is supposedly Dev's dead father so he you know this character was not randomly introduced there was an actual method behind the madness of introducing him and that's that's important and i think we're seeing that on general hospital these days yeah i would agree and brando's a character while i wasn't sure if he was necessarily needed per se in in the plot point that he started with it is nice to see them you know give him a story with molly and sort of be more involved in that and i'm like okay cool because they tend to box characters in sometimes with the corinthos clan and they kind of lose some of the people that maybe aren't the biggest fans of those storylines so to give him another lifeline is really working for the character and like i say with harmony willow's a character that i feel like we see too much of but i kind of like harmony and that she's sort of in this bad place too and the actress is great but yeah like you say with braun olbricht and Britt both were sort of character characters and and they really worked well simply because you had two great actresses with Kathleen Gotti and Kelly Thebode, who I'm very glad is back. And I feel like Britt really adds to the story there with Julian and Brad. I don't know that I think that... I don't know that I know that I think Britt necessarily Mm -hmm. adds to the story. I think she's necessary. I think that the Julian-Britt connection is very important because we need to give... Julian has... You know, Julian had... His thing with Kim, which you know was yeah. sort of a mixed bag. It was it, some people liked it, some people didn't. Um, but you know, the Julian Alexis fans are are well. Some of them are never going to move on. They're never <laughs> going to give up. And and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I mean, I I I struggle with it because of how things ended. I I really struggle with the idea of them ever getting back together, especially if you want to continue for um, Alexis to be seen as a strong woman, you know, for her to go back to somebody who's done some of the things he's done, that's hard for me to accept. But 
if you ever want even parts of the audience to accept it, you have to find them new compelling love interests. So, you know, we've done a good job. We've moved her over to Neil and I, I enjoy their story. I think yeah, it's I interesting. Like um, and, but, but Julian was sort of left floundering, especially after Kim left. And I never would have imagined that throwing Julian and Brit into this, you know, sort of no strings attached thing. I never would have thought that that would be something that would necessarily catch fire for me, but they're they're fantastic they really 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 work together and the thing about julian is is he needs someone to call him on his crap and i'm glad that we have brit here to do that because it almost wouldn't make sense for it to be somebody else because brit is someone who's trying to redeem herself as well so she's been in julian's shoes and she gets it but she also knows the only way to get better is to quit doing what you're doing yeah yeah. yeah, that's very true. And that's what I like. We had her history with Nicholas. As we say, Nicholas has been slapped by every woman on canvas at this point. <laughs> and it's nice to see her sort of bring up, you know, Rocco for, like you say, sort of tutoring fans that may be just tuning in and seeing what happened there when Rocco used to be Ben. And a lot of people may not know Brit if they just started tuning in. And it's interesting to me how they don't have her supporting her mother, but I do see why and that maybe they're sort of stepping her away from the phase on orbit which would be good for the character well they have hmm. they have a rocky history yeah. you know um uh it's it's okay to move her away from that it doesn't mean necessarily that you know if and when you bring obrecht back onto the canvas it doesn't mean that you can't you know it actually gives you more to play with it gives yeah. you more to re-examine in that in that a, a troubled relationship is always more interesting whether it's a parent-child relationship or a, a, a husband-wife relationship it's always more interesting if it's a troubled relationship than it is a stable one yeah and that's the case is that this also is, was brought in to sort of humanize brit and I think that it still continues to do that, as well as sort of show Ulbricht, like, yes, you may be doing better now, but this is who you were to your own daughter. And it, it does bring a little bit more layers to both characters, I think. Ulbricht is a character yeah. that I struggle with. I mean, I, mean, I love Catherine Gotti have from Catherine Gotti have from the very beginning. But, you know, it's really hard to have a character like that on the canvas. This is a problem with a lot of soap operas, honestly, is you have characters on a canvas who do such over-the-top, such bad, such ridiculous things that then you're supposed to invest in them in real-world stories or, or stories that are more down-to-earth, and it's very difficult. You know, this is this is something that happens on soaps a lot. You know, it's like Days of Our Lives. Days of Our Lives can never, ever, ever, ever kill a person and have me believe it, because <laughs> everyone on the canvas, including, you know, dead people have been, like, not, like dead, dead, dead people have been dug up and brought back to life. So, you know, they had a story not too long ago where Julie was in the hospital, and she was dying and we were supposed to believe that you know it was bad enough that it was because of a an app on a phone that she was, was being used to control her heart that was difficult enough to believe but there was no there was no way in the world to even put any suspense into the idea of julie dying because you know all you had to do was say well once she dies go call dr rolf he'll bring her back you know uh so so it's really hard right now for days of our lives to do anything that has life or death stakes because death does not exist on that canvas 
Yeah, that's what I always say about soaps and sci-fi both, or the comics. No one ever really dies, so you really either have to kill them for a significant amount of time, or no one's really no, gonna no, be No, 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 you said the wrong thing. Yeah. You don't kill them for a significant yeah. amount of time. You kill them, period. Yeah, kill them. Death has no meaning on yeah. soaps anymore. We used to have storylines that, you know, like some of the biggest, most emotional storylines in daytime, you know, whether it's it's Maxie getting the heart because of BJ dying, oh, yeah. or Georgie being murdered on the port steps. You know, like, like the reason those stories resonated was because the character died. Now, when a character dies, we don't really have much of an investment because we, we say to ourselves, well, when... You know, when, when they negotiate a new contract two years from now or when they don't make it in Hollywood, they'll just bring them back from the dead. The audience expects characters to come back from the dead now. And that's 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 a crying shame to me because it really takes away any investment you can have in, in death, which should be the ultimate huge emotional moment on a soap opera. Yeah, and it used to be used sparingly as far as the bringing people back. Now it's the keeping people dead that's used sparingly. But I feel like when they brought Jesse back on All My Children, that was like the beginning of the end. It was like, yeah, now they can just bring anyone, okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's that's, that's a very difficult thing because you really are robbing yourself of, um, you know, of it, it, that's the problem. Too often, soaps rob themselves. They don't think things all the way through. You know, like I'm going to make this character do this horrendous thing, and that thing is going to stay with them for the rest of their lives. You know, like like if you have a character commit rape, that character is a rapist for the rest of their their lives. You know, when you when you have a character like Franco, there is going to be a portion of the audience that is never going to accept. Franco had a brain tumor, you know, it's, yeah. they saw him do, I mean, they saw yeah. him squish a man's head. Granted, it was played by a different actor, <laughs> yeah. but they saw that him squish easy. a man's yeah. head. And no matter, and after the brain tumor was removed, they saw him attack his mother. So, so that is, if you are going to have a character do very bad things, you have to do one of two things. You have to commit to it and you can't say, you know, like, well, now we're going to turn him into a hero or you have to be willing to, at the end of that storyline, see the character punished and either killed or written off the canvas. The Edge of Night was my all-time favorite show because what they did was they brought it, they brought in actors for three months, six months, whatever, allowed them to run rampant and do crazy, horrible, awful things, and then they killed them or they sent them to jail. It got them a high-quality caliber of guest stars because the guest stars knew they only had to commit to like six months and it gave their stories, you know, payoffs. It gave them really great payoffs at the end. Yeah, and you used to have, like, when William DeVry was Michael Campius on All My Children, that was a deep, dark character, and then he was dead, and it was done. But there was so much blowback after that it kept going for years in a way, but he was gone. He was dead. He was evil, and it was great. But yeah, like you say, they don't really do that anymore. Ava and Franco were some of my favorite characters, but they're both murderers. I mean, Ava started out just killing Connie for a pretty flimsy reason. And we know Alexis has killed a few people too, but they were always decent reasons or self-defense or somewhat of an accident you could rule, not just cold-blooded murder. And I didn't like Connie, so I was on, you know, Ava's side, but I still do get why that's constantly brought up. It's like, you did sort of kill a woman in cold blood, so... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Julian's a character, too, that's done so many messed up things, but, you know, only sort of halfway... Julian and Ava have paid more than Sonny and Jason, but they really don't make anyone suffer that bad on General Hospital. 
Well, I don't yeah. know. Some would say that losing Morgan was a pretty big blow to yeah. both to both Sonny and Jason. Um, I have to say, I have very much enjoyed this. However, I do have to go back and put together another issue of the magazine. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. Thank you so much for being on. Would you like to let them know where they can keep up the conversation with you on social media if they want to? That would be awesome. Um, um, you can follow me on Soaps and Depth ABC or Soaps and Depth CBS. I do all of the soap-based tweeting there. I don't do the stuff that's involving the website because the website sort of is a different animal than the magazine. Of course, you can find the magazine on newsstands uh, pretty much anywhere. And every Monday, if you uh, look for the Soaps in Depth podcast, Charlie and I do exactly what you and I just did. We uh, spend a little bit of time talking about uh, all the soaps and all the latest stories, and that uploads every Monday and can be found pretty much anywhere where you look for your podcasts. All right. Thank you so much for joining me. And since I'm Lucretia Lyon, guys, you can always find me at L-A-C-R-E-T-I-A-L-Y-O-N anywhere on the internet since there is only one. All right. So that was the second half of the interview I did with Soap Operas in Depth's Richard. Hopefully he will be back since that was fun. That's why I wanted to split it up and give you guys a little taste here or there. Because that's what soaps do. They give you a cliffhanger to be wanting more. But one thing I do want to clarify before I go on to Tanya Walker's portion, our little throwback, was Jesse on All My Children's Death. Jesse Hubbard was half of the first African-American super couple on daytime. Angie and Jesse, played by Darnell Williams and Debbie Morgan, respectively. And this was back in the day when death meant death, especially to AMC creator Agnes Nixon, who felt Darnell Williams was Jesse. And just like their other super couple friends, Jenny and Greg, who were killed off when the actors left, she thought Jesse should stay dead. His on-screen death was a powerful moment as he died of a gunshot wound in the hospital bed with a sobbing Angie by his side and in his chest. Fans did want to see Angie and Jesse reunite, so they got the next best thing when he had a look-alike, Jacob, join Angie on Loving that then became the city. Plus, making matters more awkward for a rewrite, Jesse appeared as an angel and a ghost on AMC several times in the 90s, but since fans still clamored for a reunion, Jesse returned four years later. The story was he faked his death to protect his family, and that's surprisingly less crazy than when Erica Kane's abortion was rewritten to be a stolen embryo implanted in the wife of Dr. Madden, played by Ian Buchanan, ex-Duke Lavery of General Hospital, of course, and he came back as an adult Josh Madden. But that one's for another time. Now on to a little throwback Thursday with my 2017 interview with Tanya Walker on the GH Report from AfterBuzz TV. I switch up the order a bit so we get the O.J. Simpson trial comments first, and then a fun tidbit about the ABC Daytime versus CBS Daytime softball games that'll really tickle old school soap fans. So enjoy. You, you want to know what, what my thoughts are, how things have changed, or my thoughts are how why there's so few of them, or why th- yeah. there became uh-huh. so few of them? Is, is that what you mean? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, I was on One Life to Live when O.J. Simpson was on trial on TV, uh-huh. and um, we were preempted all the time, right? Mm-hmm. And so soap operas became um, like a friend just like my nighttime shows are today. You know, mm-hmm. I want to watch 
Blue Bloods. Now, Sammy makes fun of me all the time. She says, everybody in L.A. wonders, who watches Blue Bloods? And then she goes, my mom and dad do. My grandparents love Blue Bloods. Okay, I'm sorry, but I love it, okay? Friday night at 10 o'clock. So um, if they don't have it on, I'm bummed, right? So it's the same thing with, and Madam Secretary on Sunday nights. I'm a big, you know, I'm sorry. That's the network I am with. Yeah. Um, A lot. Uh, Except for Scandal. And, you know, there's a lot of shows I like. Um, And HBO and Showtime, you know, I love Billions. I love, and they're all soap operas. They're all soap operas. Every show I like at nighttime is a soap opera where you have to know what happened last week in order to watch it this week. So it isn't like the genre has gone down in popularity. It's gone up in popularity. Um, But the habit got broken for most of the country because everybody went to to the TV at 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock to watch their show, and it was O.J. Simpson on trial, right? And it kept going that way and going that way and going that way and going that way. They say it takes 21 days to break a habit or make a new one, and it was way more than 21 days. And so so many people just got fed up, and they left, and then they discovered, oh, well, I think I'll take a dance class at 3 o'clock, or I think I'll... You know, have my daughter do ballet at three or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think that I know that was was the beginning of, of the end of the ratings. Also, um, the ratings for O.J. Simpson were pretty high. So um, executives started looking at, gosh, you know, that didn't cost anything. All we had to do was put cameras in a room. Hmm. And there was reality TV. It was like reality TV was born. Yeah. And, you know, if you want to watch a train wreck, we got a show <laughs> for that. If you want to watch an accident, we got a show for that. We got a show if you want to watch somebody kill themselves. If you want to watch somebody be a complete, you know, what bad girl, we got a show for that. And it makes me sick. I don't. I don't. I agree. I do I don't not watch, that, watch that crap. I do not. I don't even watch The Bachelorette. I don't want. I think it's disgusting to have girls trying to get this one guy to pay attention to them and watch him kiss other girls. I'd tell him to go take a hike off a short <laughs> pier. I just. I hate that show. And my daughter loves that show. My, my little ones. But my big daughter loves that show. Sammy loves that show. And and my best friend Lori loves that show. And I'm like, how can you do that? It's just so demeaning. And 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 the Kardashians. I, well, she was famous for what for what having sex with a bat with, with I mean, just come on <laughs> um I, it, it's just it just makes me so sick and i have girls so i can't stand it um but i'm like the only person that feels that way there's zillions of people I don't that watch, watch these shows TV either. It's awful. Uh, well but there's a mm-hmm. lot of people and and i love hgtv yeah. now that's reality that's good um i love jeopardy always have um you know but it's it's it became an, a way for people to not have to spend as much money at the networks and, and find other ways to make money. There's no union rules for all these contestants on these these reality shows, Survivor and all that, where they're eating worms and bugs and stuff like that. Ooh, yeah, I got to see that, right? I'm going to get up to watch that. I'm, yeah, really? I'm going to take that sucker. I just don't get it. Um, I really don't. But I think it's an age thing. I think I'm too old to get it. You know, I think I'm just too, or too whatever, but I just don't get it. Um, I love the, you know, the real estate shows, things I can learn, you know, things that are funny. I love comedy. I love stand-up comedy, all the HBO specials, but I just can't stand gross stuff. And I'm a union girl, you know. I mean, all those jobs are gone. You know, all those shows have taken the the, speaking of food out of the mouth of, of, of my brother and sister actors um that's what happens you know you get these shows that are on for you know for no they don't cost anything 
and they don't have to pay those people anything. There's no union rules. I don't even know when they have lunch. So, um, yeah, that's what happened. <laughs> the, the, good, the good news is is that there's still some of us left, and the other good news is that's everything at night. So it's not like the genre isn't still popular. Well, I hope you know what you're saying and dynasty, and what do you think about them rebooting it? Where can I audition? <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's going to be on the CW. It's talking yeah. about rebooting Dynasty. Ooh. I gotta yes. get over there. <laughs> That's what I think of that. Yes. Oh my God. I would love to be on that show. See, that's my cup of tea. I love that stuff. I even still have some of those big shoulder pads, right? <laughs> so, did you relate more to Linda Evans or Joan Collins? Joan Collins. There, there you go. That's the part I always play. <laughs> so, it might be fun to play something else. Probably not as much fun, though. <laughs> Well, you said you hate The Bachelor, and I do as well, but I love Unreal on Lifetime, and it's soap, and it stars... Josh! Yeah, Josh Kelly. The, I love that yes. show. That um, show is, is a um, scripted show. I know, and, and it was so good, and then it was cute when he came into the studio with me and Sam, and we're like... You know, her stepmom played Alex Olenoff. He goes, I know, she was my mom. Oh, I love <laughs> so that cool. boy. I yeah. love that boy. I love One Life to Live, so that was so cool. Mm. And <laughs> he looked like, did he look Amish that day? Yes, he still had the beard. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm tired of these guys looking yeah. Amish. He fi- I think he finally cut it off. <laughs> they look Amish. All the baseball yeah. players look Amish. I'm like, what's going on? Is it the mo- like the era of the mm. Amish? I don't get it, you know? <laughs> they have no hair on their head, most yes. of them. Now he does, but a lot yeah. of them don't. Some of them have perfect, like, fabulous hair, and then they shave all their hair and then they have this big yicky you know like something could live in it beard I, I I don't get it but anyway he would look good no matter what <laughs> yeah. he's no matter cute what. so for you uh, had you kept watching the show or life and everything being a mom kind of took you away from watching GH did you start watching it when you got the call from Frank just to kind of re-familiar yeah so I watch it at Christmas <laughs> you know what happens at Christmas yes. Yes. okay so I'm watching it at Christmas. I'm like, oh, my God. I had heard Tony Geary went to Holland, and now he's in the mental institution with Alexis. I love this. This is so good. And I'm thinking all these things are happening that aren't happening. And then I come back, and I'm like, uh, so so where's Tony? I guess he comes back for periodic appearances. And they're like, no, that was a rerun. I'm like, no. So then I watched it a few more times, and I caught up a little bit with what what's going on. There's so many people on the show that, um, you know, that's why they really don't have to have the space for me you know permanently I don't think Mm -hmm. unless you know unless you all write in to everyone you know that's right right. Mm -hmm. Um, no but they really have a lot of people and um, a lot of really talented people and so it gets a little confusing for me with Lulu and Nina Nina I know because I know Michelle Stafford for like a hundred years Um, but there are people that I didn't, like Sam, I wasn't familiar with, even though I knew her from Dancing with the Stars. I didn't know her, know <laughs> yeah. her. Um, there were just a, a lot of beautiful women. Um, there's a Charlotte, Charlotte the baby. Yeah, she's the little girl. Yeah, her yeah. mom. Mm-hmm. And then this uh, woman that's with Franco, mm-hmm. who's also gorgeous. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, I don't know her name, but she's really good. And then there's Hayden, who's with, I don't remember. Uh, oh yeah, Finn, who was Michael Easton. Yeah, I've Michael known him Easton. forever. Yeah. So there's there's these women and men that um, I you know I know them from different things, but I don't know their storyline. Um, 
I did watch Valentine. Valentin? Valentin. Yeah, Valentine. Yes. Um, I'm a big fan of Patrick's. I knew him from New York. We used to play like he said this to me the other day. Because remember we used to play softball in this mm. in the you know together with Michael Knight in the, in the we had an ABC league and we played <laughs> in Central Park. And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. I still can't hit the ball, but anyway, <laughs> um, I could hit the ball and get to first base. That's about as far as I could go. Please don't throw it at me. I get very scared. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, you know, I'm a big fan of his, have been for years. So he's doing some work with Fenola that is just to die. I mean, I just think it's to die for. Oh, yeah. um, I have no idea who he is, what he <laughs> plays, or anything else. I just saw some scenes that are just to die for with different kinds of colors. And it's just really, really wild. So. Yeah, we actually had a fan ask earlier, a Michael B., who wants to know if you're working with James Patrick Stewart there mm. as Valentine. Not yet. Yeah. Not, oh, yet. not yet. But Frank mm. has figured out with the writers, with um, and I and I work with Jean Passanante, who I love, and Shelley Altman back in New York also. So this is just a really fantastic thing. Um, they figured out how to have me work with everybody. So I am an equal opportunity destroyer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just, every script I got, I was like, no, I don't do that, do I? Oh, my God, did I do that? Oh, I didn't do that. Did I do that? Oh, my God, I can't do that. No, I really do that. Oh, my God, they're going to, everybody's going to hate me. They're going to hate me. And um, I really felt that way. I was like, yeah. <laughs> Because um, before I, I was, because it, it, I had a family that, you know, I had a dad and I had, you know, and there were, it, the story was written in such a way that it was easier to find redeeming qualities. Uh, I just want to take a side uh, tangent for a second there. You mentioned the ABC League playing softball. What's it like back in the day? Who, who does the ABC team play <laughs> in the softball league? Well, it's it's the it's the it's the shows. Yes, uh, the, you, yeah. General you Hospital, know. One Life to Live, All My Children. Well, back home, though, we only had All My Children, children and yeah. One Life to Live, yes. right? So we had those those two, and then we played the Guiding Light people. I mean, we all played each other. It was really <laughs> really fun. Yeah. Um, and then we would do them for charity. You know, we do a lot of different you know games and things. Not just not just softball, but. Um, uh, Jerry Verdorn still has this fantastic um, bowling tournament every year, and we raise money. That's awesome! For, I love um, him. Yeah, for um, I, I think it's juvenile diabetes, and we we just do a lot of different things. Or Broadwood Cares Equity Fights AIDS. Everybody shows up for that. Um, it's just a lot of. There's always activities with all the daytime people um, to raise money for for charity all the time, and it's so much fun because it's really the only time that you get to to interact with people from other shows because they're working just as hard as you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, your social life is sort of fakakta when you're here. Is that okay? Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, oh, yeah. We, we can guess on this. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, but I've never worked this much because I'm leaving. You know, I'm mm-hmm. not going to, you know. So they're squeezing so much into um, to a shorter period of time. I told that to a couple of the actors the other day. Mm-hmm. They said, how many days are you working next week? I said, five. How many days did you work last week? I said five. Mm. How many days did you work in the week after? I said five. Could, every week? Mm. I said, and I'm leaving on the 10th, so mm. just don't worry about <laughs> it. Um, because everybody's always happy to have you. It's just that there's only 100 pages in a script, um, supposedly. <laughs> and um, for, every, for every character that comes on, the, the amount of pages for the people that are already there, it, it kind of, they have to share those pages. Mm-hmm. So even much as they love having you, you're taking food out of their kid's mouth. Not, I mean, they're not real thrilled. I mean, they're happy, but they're not so happy. You know, they want to make sure that you don't, you know, take too much of their those pages. I, everybody was that way on One Life to Live, too. We were happy about people coming on. And then you'd also hear a lot of the veterans, which I haven't heard these veterans say, but, I mean, in general, you, I just know the score, you know. 
um, everybody wants everybody to work a couple days a week. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's it. You don't want anybody to run off with the show. Okay, so just to clarify a few things before I give you a sneak peek as to what's to come next week. When Tanya was speaking of Charlotte's mom, this was before it was revealed that Lulu was her mother, Bree Williamson from One Life to Live, ex-Jessica, Tess, Bess, how many altars did she have, Wes? <laughs> she played Claudette, the surrogate that was even brought up this week on General Hospital that Valentin used with the embryo with his and Lulu's child. Such a weird convoluted story there, but I'd love to see Brie come back, but that's for another time. And the woman that's with Franco, she mentioned that was so beautiful, of course, is Becky Hurst. I didn't realize how long Frizz had been together until I'm like, wait, this was January 2017 when I did that interview and they had just got together I think back in August but yeah talk about longtime soap couple they've really not broken up that much either which you know is good for them I'm a big Fritz fan Tanya brings up Jerry Verdorn that was Clint Buchanan on One Life to Live and Ross Marler on Guiding Light and when she brings back home she lives in Connecticut and so that was New York where most soaps were shot at the time all My Children and One Life to Live were shot there. That was why they were all on the softball team together for ABC, as well as Loving and the City, which I brought up during the Jesse throwback. And for CBS, they had As the World Turns, Guiding Light, and Another World on at that time as well taped there. So there was actually a big community there in the 90s. But sadly, is no more. All the soaps are now shot on the West Coast in Los Angeles, since there is just the four left. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your other favorite podcasting apps and subscribe to the feed to make sure you are getting your double dose of daytime each week. And now for next week on Believe in Soap Operas. It's a GH Report reunion with James Lott Jr. and Frank Moran on to talk about the good old days and what's happening in Port Charles. Plus, on Monday's show, I have the Don of PC himself, Maurice Bernard, to chat about his new book, Nothing General About It, How Love and Lithium Saved Me On and Off General Hospital. So stay tuned. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.